Welcome to Same Old City, episode two. Uh, my name's Simon Craft, and who's with me again? My name's Ben Aspinall. So, uh, three games into the season, one point on the board for City. Uh, we've got players refusing to play, fans already calling for the manager's head. I, I think when we chose the the name for the podcast of Same Old City, we were hoping it might be ironic with this uh, new revolutionary era. Uh, but it really does seem like it might just be Same Old City so far this season. Um, and what we're going to look at in this episode is we're going to look back at the Kidderminster game and the altering game that's happened this week. Um, we're going to analyse that, figure out, you know, what on earth has been going on with team selection, with sort of rumours of discontent in the dressing room, um, all that kind of thing. Uh, we're going to move on to the retro section, which this week we're going to be starting our City Draft 11 of the century uh, by looking at goalkeepers. So um, we're going to be choosing our best, our favourite goalkeepers uh, since the year 2000. Um, and then we'll we'll look ahead to what's coming up, so the older shot game and so on. But yeah, I guess we should we should get straight into um, what's been happening. Although actually, before we do that, I think we did just want to say um, thanks to everyone who's um, you know been in touch about the the first episode. We've really sort of been blown away by the positive comments and the support. Uh, wouldn't you say, Ben? Yeah, I just want to agree with that. It's been absolutely fantastic. Um, you've been supportive on. All, all channels, whether it be on the, the be on the Red and Blue forum, on Twitter slash X, or on Instagram, um, there's been lots of really positive feedback, and also a little bit of constructive criticism, which we're actually you know happy to receive at this early stage. We've not actually blocked anyone yet. Um, it is actually genuinely appreciated. And if I could just take this moment very quickly to say, um, we really do appreciate your follows on social media. Hopefully, we can organically grow um, our accounts. Um, we are available on both Instagram. And on um, Twitter slash X, whatever it's called these days, as um, at Same Old City Pod, and you can find us on both of those particular channels using that username. Uh, yeah, we really do appreciate um, the followers, but also the, you know, the engagement, the uh, interactions, because we want this podcast to sort of be a, a community feel, um, rather than just two blokes sat talking to each other. Um, although that is fundamentally what it is. But um, <laughs> yeah, we should start, I guess, with uh, York nil, Kidderminster Harriers one, uh, which was Saturday's game. So first home game of the season. Uh, I think everyone was, you know, a bit disappointed with the with the defeat at Wealdstone, but um, first game of the season can always go a bit strangely. I think we're expecting to maybe pick up a bit against newly promoted team. Um. I was at the game. I think, Ben, you sacked this one off, didn't you? You were on a jolly in <laughs> Wales. Yeah, I was in a field in North Wales for my uh, brother's um, uh, my brother's wedding. And I have no regrets, actually, uh, looking back on uh, on what happened. So um, this first uh, kind of third of the podcast, Simon's going to be leading a little bit more than I am um, discussing what happened on Saturday. But um, I got the impression, looking at the eleven. And looking at the fallout, that um, it didn't quite all go to plan. Would that be fair to say, Sai? Yeah, I, I guess the obvious place to start would be the starting lineup. But um, you know, when we when we saw that, everyone was trying to figure out what formation we're playing. Um, it was different personnel to to the Wheelston game, but the the obvious thing was there was sort of four 
central midfielders. In you know, we had you had uh, Woodyard in there, Pybus, Paddy, and Castro as well. Uh, only two centre backs, because um, obviously Howe was suspended. So uh, you had Cardner and Crooks in there, and then yeah, there wasn't really any full backs. It was it was a very confusing formation. And then when we saw the way it was actually being set up, I mean, I described it to you as a three six one, and I was mm. kind of half joking, but it sort of did turn out that way. Um, <laughs> and he just wondered, you know, what's we played four three three all preseason. We tried the three at the back with mixed results at Wealdstone. And then what's going on here? There's even more players out of position. You've got Maz at wing-back again, Sizebra at wing-back, Ando at centre-back. Uh, and then it turned out, you know, Castro Ampai was playing quite advanced. It, is it fair to say it's sort of um, galaxy brain tactics kicking in? Um, it's hard to say because looking at, like the online feedback, you know, as I was at the time, um, and then seeing what's been spoken about on 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 social media on the forums, like nobody could pin it down. That's that's the problem. At Wilson, there was the initial confusion, and then we pinned it down as to what was happening. We didn't all agree with it, but we could see what the plan was. You know, it didn't quite work, and you kind of brush yourself off and think about the next fixture. With this, a lot of people were confused past the ninety minute mark. At, I just didn't understand like that the, the idea of um more than two holding central midfielders, you know, trying to dictate play with three at the back, it just seemed very, very confusing. Yeah, and if we get on to what actually happened in the first half, we had a lot of possession, um, as you might expect with, with that many midfielders on the park. Um, but we it was all very congested in midfield. I mean it it turned out it, I guess it was more of a three-four-two-one was the intention with Castro and Pybus mm. supporting Akinyemi, but it didn't really seem to pan out that way. You know, we were we were playing it around a lot um, in our own half, but it was mm. it was quite sort of sterile possession. We weren't getting the ball up to Akinyemi at all. Um, Castro wasn't getting much of the ball either. He had a few nice little touches, but wasn't really you know seeing enough of it to create anything. Um, Woodyard was quite busy, sort of getting stuck in with, with challenges and stuff. He was, mm-hmm. you know, one of the one of the brighter points. Um, but generally, it was just the feeling was, you know, the system is is confusing not just the fans but the players. You know, no one mm-hmm. seems to know quite which runs to make, um, and why have we spent a quarter of a million pounds on a striker and then we, we're playing a system where he doesn't see any of the ball? Um, <clears throat> so. Yeah, like I say, we did have quite a lot of possession. We the defense were very nicely shielded by the, you know, the three holding midfielders effectively. Um, but we weren't looking dangerous at all with the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, so Kidderminster definitely had the best chances, and they were generally coming from crosses, which I think is probably not a surprise when you consider we had uh, Maz and Sizebra at wing back, who aren't natural mm. wing backs. So they were having a bit of success, and obviously because so, the because the middle was so congested, they were being forced out wide. But then they were also um, they were winning quite a few of the headers when they were putting the crosses in. Um, I mean, Ando did okay, but to me, doesn't look like a natural centre back. Um, doesn't necessarily have the aerial kind of presence you would hope for in a centre back. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, they they had a couple of decent chances. I think. Um, 
They had one about half an hour where uh, Oxlade Chamberlain, who I assume is Alex Oxlade Chamberlain's brother, but I have to confess I haven't actually looked that up. It could just be coincidence, <laughs> but uh, I'm presuming that. Poor research, that Simon. Come yeah, on. sorry. I will. Uh, I'll do better next time. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, the the winger sort of beats Aziba on the right, um, and then Oxlade Chamberlain w- was challenging against Maz for the header, mm. and obviously again, it, Maz isn't on the pitch for his, uh, you know, for his threat in the air, so it's not mm-hmm. surprising that he didn't win that header, um, and that one went just wide. Uh, Morgan Smith had a shot. Not long before half time, it was quite well saved by Stockdale. Um, and then the best chance came just before half time, where again, Maz lost an aerial battle, and that was to Morgan Smith. Um, and he sort of cut across goal, but Ando put in, to be fair, what was a really good block to deflect it over because that was going in otherwise. Um, so, yeah, we made it to half time goalless, but yeah, mm-hmm. we hadn't really had any chances. We had a long-range shot by Ando that sort of fizzed over. That was about it. Um, mm. So it, it was a bit of a a bit of a weird one. I think there was already booing actually at half time when the players went off. Not because we'd sort of been outclassed or anything, just because it was so uninspiring the the kind of football we were playing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, was was that the sense you got reading about the game afterwards or seeing reaction? Yeah, I mean, not from a half to half time point of view because I wasn't looking at it so specifically, but um, that optimism at the at the kickoff point just fizzled out in terms of what I was seeing, and um, from what I read afterwards, you know, that was very much justified. Um, you know, there was no peppering, there was no um, intent in attacking play. From what I've heard, it was a case of <laughs> just uh, possession wise, you know, keep the ball very sterile possession-based football which went out of style in what 2012 2013 i think so yeah that's that was certainly the impression that i got yeah i think it's probably not exaggerating to say akinyemi probably could count his touches on one hand um that first half because he just wasn't getting any service at all yeah Um, but but yeah moving into the second half i thought we actually looked a bit better at least initially in the second half and the players were sort of seemed to be playing about 10 yards further up the pitch which just made a difference. Akinemi was getting a bit more of the ball, but and you know he did look dangerous when he had it, as he always does. But none of the chances were falling to him. There was a couple that fell to Pybus because he was sort of playing a bit further forward at that point. But and you know th- this is kind of another debate which um, is around. You know we saw Dan Pybus early last season doing really well as a you know defensive midfielder, shielding the defense. You know, um, sort of simple passes to to restart the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the moves, and then Martin's come out and said that that was sort of not the way that Pybus has has played through his career, and that he's more of a, you know, I think well, I think he said number eight, but he, he was pretty much yeah, how I most remember of, number eight, yeah, I think that's what he said. He was pretty much our most attacking midfielder in this half, but. You know, he's got there two... was el- there was elements of that in the first half against Wilson, so the fact that it happened again does not surprise me. Yeah, and it it's hard to know exactly what qualities he's bringing to that role because you know he's got mm. two goals in his career. <laughs> he's not necessarily one who you expect to be laying on a lot of assists. He's a good passer of the ball, but he, it just doesn't seem to suit him in in the same way as that 
our defensive mm-hmm. role does. Um, so yeah, the, the fact the chances of finding him was was unfortunate, I guess. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Quite early on in the second half, Stockdale made a bit of a howler where he basically played it straight to their player who was closing him down. Um, that could mm-hmm. have gone a lot worse. He sort of recovered, but a little bit lucky, maybe not to have, you know, um, given away a penalty even because he he was a little bit clumsy going in sort of for the second challenge. Um, I think this is somewhere. With with Stockdale, um, I think it's bigger fish to fry in terms of discussions regarding our eleven. But um, I do think at Wilson's winner, there's a there's a question of concentration, and um, I think it came up again from what I've read against Kidderminster, and maybe as we come on to it against Altrincham, uh, maybe maybe that might be a factor moving forwards. Hopefully, it isn't, and hopefully, I'm being dramatic, but I got I certainly uh, got got that impression reading what people have said so far. Yeah, I mean, that's the only particular mistake I can remember from the Kidderminster game. Uh-huh. And maybe it's to do with the way he's playing. He's, he's He is trying to really get things moving quickly in terms of his distribution yeah. um, and play it out from the back. Uh, in fact, to be honest, he had the most urgency out of anyone on the pitch in terms of trying to get the ball forward um, mm. in the Kidderminster game. You know, he he seemed to be trying to, you know, move it quickly and so on, which the rest of our play mm. wasn't really in tune with um but yeah that that definitely was an error um but luckily we got away with it we had maz had a shot sort of from the edge of the area after a corner a decent effort but sort of flew high and wide mm-hmm. um but again we weren't creating that much then again neither were they it was sort of it had the feel that it might be heading towards a nil nil mm. um i mean in terms of kidderminster they seemed sort of very solid the way they were set up basically what you would expect in a Russ Penn side. Um, yeah. You know, they, were, they weren't spectacular, but they they all knew their jobs. They were all keeping their shape quite well. Um, and there was always a chance they could nick a goal, which is obviously how it panned out. Um, but yeah, before the goal, we, we made some kind of interesting substitutions. It felt like um, we needed to take off one of those more defensive mids. Just mm-hmm. to just to get a bit more attacking thrust, but it was actually Castro and then Siziba who got taken off, which felt a bit strange at the time. Um, so listening to Martin post match, he was saying that it, there were fitness issues, and there's still players who who joined later in preseason who aren't as fit. So I, I mm-hmm. do understand that angle, but basically the substitutions didn't address the real problem that the, we had too many players in the middle of the park and we didn't have enough attacking outlets or players making you know positive runs. Um, and then, yeah, seven minutes from time, Kidderminster get a corner. Uh, it's not dealt with properly. There's a couple of headers. Akinyemi sort of heads it back across his own goal. Um, and then Amari Morgan-Smith again uh, out jumps. In this case, it's Paddy uh, and beats Stockdale to the ball as well. And his head is in off the bar. Um, and inevitably, it's, you know, it's, it's an ex-City player. It always seems to happen to us. <laughs> Um, and but yeah, like I say, Kidderminster hadn't really threatened, but obviously, you know, a goal like that can always happen. And have you seen the goal or any of the highlights? Out of interest? Yes, I've seen. I've seen how it transpires, and it's one of those really messy non-league goals where somebody with a little bit more ability needs to get get you know get the head away, get the the clearance out, etc. You know, the the back head of Badipo is unfortunate. You know, he's just trying to get it away from from danger, but it, it happens. 
the actual winning header should be dealt with better. And it's just a mess of a goal. It's an absolute pig of a goal. And when you're the away team getting that sort of count, not a counter, but, you know, a bit of a sucker punch type of um, of winner, you know, that late in the match, it's an absolute dream, isn't it? Just to get that, especially against a team that have just kind of huffed and puffed oh, yeah, at home they, against it, you. It's just, it's an absolute dream. Their fans were having a great time. Um, as you can <laughs> see, you know, I mean, they're back in this league. It's, you know, they're up at, you know, a team who've spent quite big mm-hmm. and they've, you know, done a smash and grab. Maybe that's not fair because they were, you know, they probably deserved it on, on balance. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was, like you say, we've seen it many a time where a team yeah. just sort of um, soak up our pressure and then and then hit us in the, at the end. Um, and yeah, after that, we did put a bit of pressure on him late on. Harriet came on, he was quite lively. Um, there was a couple of chances fell to Dyson, in particular one deep in stoppage time. Uh-huh. Uh, we just kind of snatched at it and and it went wide. That was probably our best chance. Um, and again, it's it's maybe not the person you want the chances to be falling to. I know his he's scoring record's a bit better than, than someone like Pybus, but it does feel like he's he's missed quite a few chances as well. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, the, the, the final score, 1-0 to Kidderminster. And, you know, we're looking at, zero points from the first two games and and i think there's there's already a, a feeling that the pressure was on martin after that really yeah the reaction to it was uh quite considerable um uh, in uh on social media on the forums etc i mean it's it's rocking a hard place in it after two games uh, two games a season because people are also adding you know what happened in the last final third of last season but you know it is still very very early in the season it was a very, very vitriolic reaction. I dare say quite toxic as well. I didn't really want to come down too hard on either side. I try and keep my powder dry on that, about that one at the time uh, after the, after the Kidderminster game, but oh, it was quite venomous from what people were saying. What, what did you make of it? Yeah, well, I, I tweeted on on the podcast account after the game. <clears throat> um, basically, it was a hugely frustrating afternoon. And the consensus after the game seems clear. We've got some decent players, but the system was wrong, and so were the substitutions. Mm-hmm. And just sort of pose the question, how long will Martin be given? Um, so just to look at a few few of the replies, FM Trek replied with, um, not long, as in Martin's not going to be given long, if he's always going to be worried about the opposition like he has been for the first two games. We had J849 saying he should be gone tonight, completely baffling team selections, tactics and cannot change things when his strategy isn't working. So, you know, there's there's plenty of people, we're only two games in, but there's plenty of people already thinking this guy's not the right yeah. man for the job. Yeah, um, there's quite some strong views, wasn't there? There was some quite, you know, quite strong and quite forthright as well, views about um, him as a coach, as a tactician, as a manager. It was quite, uh, it was quite strong. Yeah, yeah. We had um, another one from Will Harris. What I don't get, we set up and recruit for 4-3-3 in the closed season. He then plays two different variations on three at the back in two games, mm. managing to nullify any attacking threat for three of the four halves. If we play three at the back Tuesday, that's a sign he doesn't see it. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll come on to Tuesday. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it, I would say there was mixed opinion about whether you know this is sort of a sign that Martin needs to go now, but there seems to be plenty of people already taking that taking that view. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> But yeah, on to 
Altrincham Tuesday night, obviously. Yeah, two home games within four days. So it's a quick chance to bounce back. As we mentioned last time, we didn't, we haven't had a great recent record against Altrincham. Um, mm. You know, they, they'd done us in the <clears throat> playoffs a couple of years ago, um, several times, you know, over the last few seasons. Just seemed to be that they would always win <clears throat> when we were playing them at home. Um, but yeah, I mean that was one where you did uh, you did get to it, didn't you? So what what were your sort of hopes before the game? So I wanted to see like a positive reaction, a change in the formation, and a change in the mentality. So um, the reversion, you know, reversion to the four three three. Very happy with it. Um, you can talk about the merits of the eleven, which you know we will do, but the you know, the idea of going back to um, the ta- the tactics and the formation that we did during the preseason um, build up was fantastic. I was very very happy with that, and I was quite optimistic. Um, Altrincham about um, you know um, evolved into a full time side. Um, they've changed their entire club setup to reflect their you know um, consolidation into the national league. So it was going to be a real test. You mentioned the bogey side aspect. I think that's more a mentality thing for supporters as opposed to the players. But of course, it was still there. So, you know, I definitely wanted to win this game just as a, for, for numerous reasons, uh, for all the reasons I've just said before, you know. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned that um, the lineup was different. And like you say, we had gone back to the 4 3 3, which was what everyone had been clamoring for. Um, <clears throat> quite a few changes again um, to the extent that, well, the, the team that was named, which had Woodyard in it before he had to, um, pull out because he got injured in the warm-up. So 10 of the initial 11 were signings we've made over the summer, mm-hmm. which, you know, is a big change from Morton had been showing quite a bit of faith in in some of the older players who, you know, maybe had a longer pre-season and were allegedly fitter. Mm. There was questions being asked about, is there, you know, external pressure on on him to pick certain players? But... You know, at the same time, I mean, he was asked about that by David Ward after the game and sort of flat out denied it. But in fairness, it was, I think most fans were happy with the 11 that were named. Um, that was similar to the sort of teams people were saying they wanted to see put out. It was more positive. We had, you know, we didn't have all the defensive midfielders in there. There was only really going to be Woodyard, which turned out to be Paddy. Um so yeah, it seemed it seemed like a more positive lineup, and I thought we started pretty brightly. Um, we were getting the ball forward. There were some decent interchanges of passing. Akinyemi was far more involved than he had been on Saturday. Um, what did you think about sort of the opening few minutes? Well, I I really enjoyed the non-league level of counter press in terms of you know um, players lo- uh, the players losing the ball and trying to get back as quick as possible. There was bits, um, I think it was the effort that led to the corner that led to York's goal, where um, I believe it was Castro, I might be misremembering, but it was Castro and Dyson causing, you know, causing the Ultracom midfield and defence to make mistakes uh, to get the effort away that um, Ethan Ross and Ultracom goal saved. So this is very, early, you know, relatively early on in the game, but you could see there was an element, you could see what the element the plan was to cause problems, to quickly get in their faces, to turn it back on them. And for that first half of the first half, there was no reason to believe it wouldn't. It was not going to work, especially when uh, when Dippo got that first goal. Um, when he did, um, 
Yeah, it so just seemed we, like we could we... make them settle properly, and it was it was very very good to see. Do you come on to that goal then? Because it came from a corner. Unfortunately, I haven't seen any of the highlights back, so this is all based on my um, initial view uh, from the south mm-hmm. stand, which was the far end from where it was happening. Uh, but yeah, it was a corner that was swung in. Um, someone headed it across, and Dippo kind of hooked it in from fairly close range. Was that how you saw the goal? Yeah, that's how I remember it. Um, similar in a certain sort of way to Wilson in that it's a, a first-time shot, got to do it now or never. And it goes in, you know, it exemplifies the reason we paid so much for him and also shows why he's going to get, you know, barring fitness and injury issues, he's going to get a lot more for us. He's um, a very, very good finisher and his technical ability is like second to none. Um, a fantastic goal. Yeah, and the atmosphere atmosphere felt really good, especially compared to Saturday. That's very true. Yeah, It felt like, true. the you know, the the fans were in good voice. You know, we've gone 1-0 up. It felt like, okay, you know, maybe this is the moment it, the tide turns. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you say, we carried on looking pretty decent for the first 25 minutes or so. Um, but I thought Altrincham gradually started to come into the game and carve out a few chances. Um, they were sort of, they were passing it through our midfield a little bit too easily for my liking. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just sort of gradually thought, okay, yeah, they're, they're in this game, aren't they? they and, yeah. and they're not a bad side. Um, so Stockdale made a couple of Decent saves, um, fairly important ones, uh, sort of in the the second half of the first half. Um, But as I mentioned, we only had Paddy there, having complained about us having too many defensive midfielders shielding the the, uh, centre-backs. It almost felt like we'd gone too far in the other direction because Mm -hmm. there was only really Paddy sitting back in that midfield Mm -hmm. and... The fullbacks, which was Ando and Lati Fairweather, um, were—I mean—they were making some positive runs, but again, they weren't necessarily being as defensively disciplined as as you might hope. It, it's that as you are correct, but it's also the element of they were not really being supported by their their um, attacking inside forwards slash wingers that were in front of them. So it was a, a perfect storm. They would be, they would be caught out, you know, being ahead of the play and. Um, some slight, slightly wayward passes. They were, but you can't really criticise a player for being positive. You know, it, they were trying to get forward to support attacks in a manner that was, you know, um, great to see in terms of how I want, how I want to watch York City play. But um, it did leave um, both centre-halves, um, Howe and um, Cordner, a little bit exposed, if, especially, um, you're going to come onto it now, but the equaliser for... Um, for Altrincham in the first half was uh, a case of their striker getting, you know, a bit of room and heading up against Cordner and doing him, you know, with, with a turn. It made it look very, very easy. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so equaliser came on 37 minutes. I think it's fair to say it had been coming. You know, it wasn't yeah. undeserved. Um, and it was Con Clark who was sort of slipped through and a neat little finish past Stockdale into the bottom corner. I think it initially came from our sort of left-hand side defensively and again Uh this is just my recollection but I felt like that was a a particular weak point again as it had been on against Kidderminster when we had Mazat left wing back this time we had Lati Fairweather who yeah you know he didn't have a terrible game he he got involved in some decent uh, moves going forward but 
it did feel like maybe um, that was an area they realized they could target. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, one all. Um, and they sort of felt like they were on top at, at that point. And then pretty much out of nothing, we, we retook the lead a couple of minutes later. So um, <clears throat> Akinyemi won the ball out wide, sort of using his strength. They'd failed to deal with a... Um, what seemed like a fairly routine ball, but you know he he won it back, cut uh-huh. inside, laid it off for Callum Harriet to to yeah slot it past Ethan Ross, who maybe his positioning was a bit uh, a bit questionable there. Yeah, I think he left a lot of the goal exposed on his left hand side, didn't he? It seemed like a little um, cheeky slot from uh, from Harriet, but there was a lot there to aim at. Um, it wasn't a particularly powerful finish. It was a very you know um, old school side foot um, into that far corner. Uh, I really enjoyed um, um, Akinemi's hard work to make it happen, um, especially so quick after the equaliser. We're all a bit, you know, deflated in terms of how well Ochlin was starting to play, and the take lead as quickly as we did, you know, completely turned everything around. The enthusiasm, you know, came came back to us as uh, as City fans. But um, yeah, yeah, I think, I, that... I think uh, a good finish it was from, from Harriet. It was uh, Akinemi's hard work to create the opportunity then you know and then create the assist was uh was fantastic yeah i'd agree that goal was sort of all about akinyemi really um mm. you know creating it by himself which was one of the things that was so positive is about seeing his performance you know he's not just doing well in front of goal but he's even getting involved defensively he's you know he's trying to win the ball back up high and then he's you know he's obviously laying on an assist there so mm-hmm. his all-round game you know looked really strong so yeah, we we go in two one up at half time. Maybe a bit lucky to be ahead, but it felt like you know there's definite signs of improvement. Four three three is working better than the three at the back had done. Um, were you feeling confident that we could see it out for the win? Mm, we'd have to um, use a certain type of housery to uh, to see it through, uh, in my opinion, because. Altering was starting to play well in midfield. They were starting to pass it and move it very quickly and uh, created those diagonals to, you know, to frustrate and keep the ball away from us. So I thought if we were going to get the win out of this, we might need one more to be more comfortable. So um, I couldn't see the second half coming, but I was scared that it was going to come. So moving into the second half, I thought we started okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, they were getting they in were... behind too often. Um, and... The centre-backs were, to be honest, I thought, I mean, Cordner maybe um, looked a little bit shaky first half, but I thought actually the, the centre-backs both did pretty well. They did quite yeah, a lot of last-ditch. I, last agree with that. I think Cordner looks much better second half. He put some, there were some tackles in the second half where he just, it was colossus. He looked fantastic. But I don't, I single him out as opposed to, to Howe because Howe was solid the entire 90 minutes. Called there was a little bit iffy to start with, but then grew into the match much better. And also his distribution improved. So um, it, by the end, you know, I was equally impressed by both of them. But how was solid the entire entire match while Cordner grew into it? Yeah, I think I thought they defended really well on the whole. The problem was how much defending they were having to do, how, how often yes. they were being left one-on-one <laughs> or having to make recoveries and blocks and things like that. I think it was yeah. the defensive or the, or the lack of, help defensively from other key positions was leaving them a little bit exposed so yeah then um on 66 minutes um 
Matthew Cosolo, who's just come on as part of a double substitution for Altrigham, um, puts in the equaliser to make it 2 all. Uh, what's your sort of recollection of that goal? Well, I think the issue with that goal is um, much like the first uh, equaliser, you get this sense that it's been coming, um, especially for the whole length of the, uh, the second half. Um, time and time again, Altrigham midfield were being allowed to overrun hours, um, create the, the spaces behind our um, attacking midfield in front of our defence. And I remember the the effort coming in at Stockdale did reasonably okay to save. He powered it away from goal to the side, but there was the Altrigham attacker following it up to to put the rebound in. Um, you could maybe argue, if you're being harsh, that Stockdale should put it further away from his own goal. But to make that initial save was pretty decent nonetheless. So you can't really argue with it in terms of the finish, in terms of you know uh, the opportunity arising. But um, it was still very, very frustrating. Yeah, and again, not to pick on individuals, but it felt like the left side of our defence was maybe a bit lax with the marking in the lead up to that goal, uh, which is maybe yeah, again the and also the right side with Ando, just not you know maybe he was occupied elsewhere, but um, I seem to recall the old lad being in a lot of space yeah. to, uh, to make that finish. And it's not just obviously it's Latifair with his first start and he's young, but it's the fact he's, he's got Sazibra ahead of him as well, who's also very young. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of experience down that flank, which maybe, you know, didn't help us in the end. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so that was the equaliser to all. I, I sort of hoped maybe that's going to, you know, um, be an impetus for us to, you know, start attacking again um, and, and try and get back on top, but that didn't really happen. It felt like nearly all the pressure came from them yeah. Sort of from them onwards, and the main issue really behind that was the fitness or lack of fitness of quite a large section of our players that just seemed to, from about seventy minutes onwards, just be absolutely spent. Particularly, um, Castro, I would say, um, Harriet as well. Harriet was absolutely spent about seventy minutes. He was bent over, like gasping for air. Um, which I can respect, you know, I understand, but it's like, ah, we've kind of made two substitutions already, lads, and three of you are wanting to come off. Yeah, so. and the substitutions were because of injuries. So Hancock's yeah, came on at left back well, yeah. for, for Lati Fairweather. Um, <clears throat> Dyson went off injured as well. John Lewis came on, I think, sort of played in midfield, possibly. Apparently. Um, and and Kuya coming on for a. For Sizeba. Yeah, I don't know if that was. Sizeba, yeah. Uh, Injury or fitness? I think that was, I think that was the one tactical uh, one that uh, Mikey made. Yeah. Again, not to go back too much to the lineup, but it did feel like Maz being one of the ones to be dropped after he'd been put out at wing back mm. was just not maybe the the fairest selection. Um, but yeah. you know, he, he offered an outlet when he came on, but he, there is always that thing that does he have the end product, um, and. On this occasion, yeah, possibly not in the time he was given. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, they, Altrigan were still getting quite a few chances and we're sort of lucky that, you know, they didn't put the game to bed really just, just because of their lack of being able to finish. There were quite a few times when they had opportunities that they just sort of blazed over or wide. Yeah, that's right. Um, we were Stock, getting... Stockdale, Stockdale made some routines, like relatively routine saves, but, you know, on another night, that might not have been the case. So added, added to the efforts you mentioned about, you know, going wide and over the bar, etc. There was plenty of um, sigh, you know, breathing 
relief in the south stand around me. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and we were getting quite frustrated, giving away a lot of fouls. I think we had at least five mm-hmm. bookings. Um, but but yeah, I also it... think I also think those fouls are tied into the fitness levels. I think those fouls were very tired. Players gone past me. I'm just going to drag you down for a tactical yellow, which you can live with, but you don't need two thirds of your team um, doing that with uh, ten minutes to go. Yeah. No. And um, yeah. I mean, Martin had been making a lot of the fitness preseason, and that some players who joined later weren't as fit. And to be fair, mm-hmm. I think that was sort of borne out in what we saw in the Altrincham game that it was some of the new signings who did well first half and, and really faded as the yeah <clears throat> the lack yeah, of fitness yeah. kicked in. Whether that's because they're being overtrained or you know they're still not quite up to speed, I'm not sure. But um, but yeah, so it finished two all, and we were probably fortunate to get away with the draw in the end. Yeah, um, but- I believe uh, distinctly that we should have lost that match. Had that third goal come in the last 10 minutes, we'd be sat here having the exact same conversation with the same tone of voice. We would not be complaining about it. We would be reflecting on another defeat, really. Yeah, I mean, over the balance of the game, there were times when we were on top, certainly. First half of the first half and um, at certain points in the second half, we looked okay. But the way it was going towards the last half hour, it felt like there was only going to be one winner. And if the game had carried on 10 minutes longer... You know, they, they probably would have done. Um, but <clears throat> in fairness, I thought Altrincham looked very decent. I can see them. I'd be surprised if they weren't top half this season based on that. Yeah. But yeah, moving into the, the post-match interview, things sort of continue to be interesting in terms of Martin's post-match interview. Um, have you listened back to that at all? Yeah, so I, I, I um, braced myself uh, this morning on my train back um, from York to home. I stuck the, the uh, headphones on a train and I listened to it and I've not got any hot takes regarding it. I think we all all got our opinions regarding what was said and how it was said. Well, should we um, go over I, what was said just for anyone who's uh, who's not had the pleasure? Well, let me start with the context. Um, I like Dave Ward. I think he's a reasonable interviewer. I think he's a very good commentator. Um, he's not the love child of Paxman and Bashir. I want to make that very, very clear right now. And yet every single, you know, ball that he bowled to, to Mikey Morton caused him to just end up completely all ends up. You know, he was very, very, very disheveled, annoyed to the points, quite um, angry with what was being asked. And they were just not even curveballs. They were very, very straightforward deliveries. And Morton did not sound, um, he did not sound authoritative. He did not sound confident. And when you're um, putting the money in that, our chairman has this summer. It is very, very worrying to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, he. <clears throat> I think Dave Ward was just asking the questions every all the fans have been asking themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, I think Martin. I mean, he sounded shaken up, to be honest, by sort of the way the evening had progressed. And yes, reading between the lines, it sounded like it sounds like at least one player basically refused to be a part of the matchday squad um, in Dan Pibus. Um, yes, some people have said there might be more than one. Um, well, that's it. M- Morton's um, use of pronouns, how very topical, was quite interesting because he he used um, you know not he he used they, which is suggestive of plural as opposed to you know our non-binary players, whoever they may be. It, it came across as like um, perhaps he was like you know just grasping for language, and he meant by us by you know by by themselves. 
but it did worry me that he went they as opposed to him. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how much of that is, you know, we're reading into individual words when he's just sort of, you know, trying to mm. say something without saying it almost, and he's maybe getting his words in a tangle. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so he touched on on that um, and sort of talked about, yeah, the fitness issues for several players, um, responding to the idea that, that Uglu was picking the team. You know, he said, you know, that's definitely not the case and that, you know, they they have meetings I mean, and so I, on. I mean, I things. don't believe that Matthew Uglu is picking a team. I, I don't, I genuinely don't think that. Um, I think there might be an influence about Uglu wanting to see his signings play and I do actually think that's organic and natural. But I also want to say to you, Simon, is that um, I doubt that David Ward is going to ask uh, Mikey Martin that if the, is the chairman pick a team, I doubt Mikey's going to say, "Oh yeah, yeah, no, he's um, he's come down and told me." I don't think he would say that. No, but <clears throat> he was he was very sort of strenuous in his denial of it. I think the truth is probably uh, you know more complicated than that. That there's there's meetings happening between. Stockdale and Morton and Ugland, and possibly, you know, other members of the staff that... What, you know, Julie? <laughs> could be, you know, we don't know. Um, but, they're, you know, they're putting forward opinions and ideas about who should be playing, you know, the way they see the team. Obviously, if you're the chairman, your words carry a certain weight when you're the employer of the manager. And maybe Morton isn't that <clears throat> traditional manager who, you know, whose say was, was the be-all and end-all. We don't, we know, we don't know what conversations are going on behind closed doors. Oh. So, um, <clears throat> obviously, all we can say is traditionally, whenever a chairman's got involved in trying to influence team selection, hasn't tended to go well. So, hopefully, there's not much of that going on. But at the mm-hmm. same time, <clears throat> we maybe should be moving away from that idea that the manager is the dictator who, you know, is in, involved. You know, they're the one who makes all the signings, who makes all the decisions. And then suddenly next week you've got a different manager and you have to have, you know, whole new things. Maybe, you know, maybe we do need to think about okay. a slightly different I think model. I think you might be right there, Sai, perhaps. And I would be inclined to agree with you, but maybe it's a little part of it that sticks this element of we're a Division 5 football team in a Lego ground on the outskirts of a city. We don't need to do, we don't need to be doing a whole hierarchy with DOFs and CEOs, etc. Get a man in, get a, you know, get a you know stodgy, red-faced English bloke in his mid-fifties to pick the side to train the lads. You just want John Askey to, back, is what you're saying? I want who's back? Sorry, John Askey. Well, firstly, it's Sir John to you, and secondly, no, I don't. I think I do think at this level though that um, our football should be a little bit more simple than a committee based around transfers and tactics and trainings and the first eleven. I do think there should be, you know, a hierarchical element of um, the chairman who pays for things and offers advice about budgets and a, a manager who spends that budget and trains and sets up the team accordingly. And I think there should be a clear divide there um, at this level. You know, yeah, if I we become sort of a playing, championship um... side in the future, that, that will change. I'm saying at this level, we should pay some 50-year-old, you know, be a belly fat bloke or red face to get us promoted. Yeah, I, I was maybe playing devil's advocate to some extent, um, but I do think it probably doesn't boil down to being as simple as the manager's picking the team or the chairman's picking the team. It's it's probably more nuanced and more political than that, but it may be that there are certain pressures being applied. 
Yeah, um, that's very fair. Just, I do, I do have two um, points to raise regarding Morton's um, press uh, post-match interview, um, which I did pick up uh, listening to it um, this morning. Um, he was very quick to bat away the accusation of um, the chairman of Matt Matt, Pick- Matt Ugler picking a team, um, which is absolutely fair enough. Um, as I said to you before, he's clearly he's clearly not going to admit that's the case. I respect that, but um, he didn't address the issue that Ward very clearly raised in his question regarding leaks in the team. So um, you know, a lot of us do read and post on the um, Red and Blue um, discussion forum, um, and a particular user on that. Forum did name the original starting eleven um, precisely um, the day before the game uh, to the you know to the position. Um, obviously, Woodyard was injured during the warm up, so Paddy came in, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's fair enough. Um, but there was no address regarding how are these leaks happening, why are these leaks happening. You know, are they going to be stopped? You know, ha- are we looking at who who knows the intricate details regarding the first eleven? And so someone can wander off and go on Twitter and forums and post them. You know, it was very disconcerting for me that that was just kind of ignored. Um, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it definitely is a concern if that's if that's been put out because <clears throat> if that's happening regularly, it doesn't take too much for someone from the opposition to say, "Oh, we think this is going to be their team tomorrow." It sounds like all right, Oxford, Oxford United. That's exactly what it is, isn't it? Well, it sounds like. Um, that didn't happen with Altrincham because apparently they changed their system to match our three at the back, whereas you know we didn't actually end mm. up playing a three at the back. Um, but yeah, it's you know obviously you don't want the, the team leaking out because um, if it's leaking out to you know a post on red and blue, it could be leaking out to numerous other places as well. Mm-hmm. Um, D- like, do you mean like dark web? Yeah, it could <laughs> it could be anywhere. Um, <laughs> but yeah. MySpace. I think there's there's definitely Bebo accounts that are, that are leaking. <laughs> <clears throat> but anyway, let's um, just touching briefly on the Pybus issue. Yes, obviously you never want to hear about a player refusing to play. Although I seem to remember Sean Newton refused to play and then won Club Man of the Year later that season a few years ago, and everyone sort of forgot about that. But um, oh, not all of us. <laughs> what what's your feeling on that? Other than you know, hopefully, does this mean, you know, we just we just move on from him as a York City player? Well, uh, Pipers divides a lot of opinion. Um, I can see both sides. Uh, before uh, the ASCII sacking and before the new contract, he was. I, I I saw him as a safe, reliable screen. You know, the player that Paddy should have been on Tuesday night. So once it's really frustrating because when a player shows you they can do it. And then stops doing it. You get really annoyed. So you, you mentioned Newton, you know, um, you know, the, the, both players have shown the ability at this level to play the required, sta- you know, the required standard. And then Pybus, unfortunately, his injury last year, he came back. I didn't think he was as bad as he made him out to be, but unfortunately, he didn't quite reach those same levels again. I would love to see him in his current setup. I don't think he's, you know, going to be. The next, uh, I don't know, De- Declan Rice, you know, th- this this amazing central holding midfielder. But I do think he can do a role f- for York City trying to get into the playoffs in the National League. Uh, you mentioned earlier about him playing as an eight. Uh, he was doing a little bit of that during preseason, wasn't he? In, in, in a position that wasn't quite familiar to us as York fans. But then we hear things from Morton about him being the number eight for uh, 
or Eng- for England or something, England C. I, I don't remember him being in the World Cup squad because it, <laughs> it was just stated as he played there for England. Like, oh, I must have missed that. You know, I knew he was highly rated, but. Um, so if, if if it is true, I mean, the rumor is Hartlepool put a bid in, which makes a lot of sense with Sir John. Um, just just for everyone's uh, reference, that's uh, former York manager John Askey, who is the manager of Hartlepool. Uh, it makes sense that they've put a, a money bid in. If it's true, we'll soon find out. I also, to go back to the the post-patch interview, I enjoyed Ward asking Morton directly regarding an offer from Hartlepool, to which he said, I don't know. I don't get involved in that. Fair enough. Why would you, Mikey? But um, it's it's be really, very really annoying if we lost him at this stage because maybe he's not everyone's cup of tea, but there's a role to be played, and now we'd have to go back to um, you know, transfer market. And also with Paddy having to step up for um, Woodyard last uh, last night due to the injury, I worry about the availability of quality screening midfielders yeah, um, at such short notice. I was a I was a big fan of Pybus sort of early part of last season because. Mm. I always like that kind of player like, who just keeps things simple in front of the defense. Yeah, exactly. Like Scott Kerr right. did. I was a big, big admirer of his um, <clears throat> in terms of someone who can break up play and, yeah, just always sort of play a simple pass but do it well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, he didn't sort of continue in that kind of form. And hopefully in Woodyard we've got someone who can play that position a bit differently but, you know, also well. But, you know, fingers crossed that's not, that's not a bad injury from last night. But um, but yeah, I think we've probably said all we need to say about those those two home games. Um, but yeah, I guess the the bottom line is we're three games in. There's one point on the board. We're not really any closer to knowing our system, and there's a lot of question marks over the manager. So um, yeah, the revolution is still pending. I would say the revolution is still televised, but it's um, available on pay per view on the National League website. Yeah. And not on a Saturday either. No, no. Yeah, it's not as, ca- not as catchy a song that is it. But um, yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah, let's let's wrap up the uh, the current section here, and we'll move on uh, to looking back in the retro section. So welcome to the retro section, and we're going to be starting off. Uh, something that's going to hopefully sort of run through the season, which is we're building not one, but two city teams of the century. Um, and I think I'll hand over to Ben to explain this in a bit more detail, how it's going to work. Yeah, so what's going to happen is uh, Simon and myself are going to spend um, a show once every month uh, discussing a particular position, uh, starting today with our goalkeepers, moving forwards to centre-halves, then fullbacks, then wingers, or wide forwards, then central midfielders, and then strikers and family managers. And what's going to happen is we're going to discuss either our top three or four um, players for each particular position. We'll make that very clear on the um, the episode that you're listening to. Uh, we'll take turns to discuss um, our top three slash four, discuss the player why they've made it in, you know made it into our top list, etc. And then once we've had that discussion we're going to move forward to the actual draft. So what's going to happen is um, Simon and myself are going to build up an 11 each of two competing York City teams. And the kicker is uh, a player that is in one side is not allowed to be in the other. So uh, to make that a little bit clearer, today we're going to discuss our top 
three goalkeepers. We're going to have a very cordial and polite discussion regarding our favourite three goalkeepers of the 21st century. Well, we'll um, once we've goes. had our discussion, we're going to then um, toss a coin, and whoever wins the coin cost gets to decide which goalkeeper they want to have in their eleven. The other person will then, then choose their goalkeeper, and then, uh, yeah, the two sides will have their respective shot stopper for their draft eleven. Uh, in a few weeks' time, I think in about a month's time, we're going to move forward to centre-halves, and from there, we'll explain the rules regarding the centre-halves a little bit more clearly. But yeah, just to make it very clear for today, we're going to discuss our top three goalkeepers um, in a friendly, cordial discussion, like as, as if it were a pub chat before and after a York City game. Um, we're gonna. Th- I think we're gonna throw in an honourable mention. Is that correct, Sai? Yeah, just if there's any, you know, players we considered but didn't quite make the cut. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, we'll um, toss that coin and decide who is our starting goalkeeper for each person. So uh, because we're just at, you know ranking our top three uh, to start with, we're gonna keep it polite and chatty. So uh, Simon, um, I'm gonna ask you, uh, who have you picked as your number three goalkeeper? Well, before we get into that, actually. Um, oh, sorry. Do should just make ahead. clear what the exact criteria are. So we're calling it mm. City Eleven of the Century. So I think our definition of that would be they have to have played, you know, at least a minute of first team football from the year two thousand onwards. Um, <clears throat> we so did... are you telling are you telling me that Doan Martina is not going to make my eleven? I would suspect not. Um, mm. But yeah, okay. well, uh... well, let me just cross that off. Sorry, one <laughs> second. There we go. There it is. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Basically, it has. They have to have played first team football. It can't have been an unused sub, and it's from the year two thousand onwards. We did discuss sort of doing it over the last thirty years and looking at nineties, but then we realised Ben, you weren't really going that much in the nineties, and I was literally no. a child. So my, you know, <clears throat> opinion of players from then probably isn't that well formed. Mm. Um, <clears throat> that's not to say we're never going to look back at the 90s or, or earlier on the podcast. But um, for this, we thought we'll keep it nice and neat, um, 2000 onwards. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we did, before we look at our own choices, we did put the question to Twitter. Yeah, we did actually, um, didn't we? Yeah, we got a, a lot of responses, which I thought was fantastic. A lot, a lot, I really enjoyed reading them responses. Yeah, so I'd, we just sort of asked who gets your vote of City's best keeper of the 21st century. We had a few that were maybe tongue-in-cheek. I mean, it's it's always hard to tell, but um, <clears throat> let's just take a look. We had one shout for for Jason Mooney, who we we helpfully <laughs> included in the picture for the tweet. Yeah. Um, yeah. Spoiler alert, he's he's not in my top three. I mean, if you can't have a six-foot-eight farm boy in there, then, you know, might as well pack up and go home. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that's fair. Um, but, yeah, just uh, yeah, one shout for Greg Young. Um, and then we had. I mean, could you put him in both your centre halves and in goal? Can he do both at once, like within no, the laws of well, the game? You can't have the same player twice uh, uh, in your team unless it's both Paul Robinsons. I think that would be the. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, <clears throat> we've got a um, a tweet from J two eighty six. Paul Musselwhite had a hundred percent clean sheet ratio. And got Braintree Town star striker sent off by throwing him to the floor in the penalty area. You just cannot beat I mean, that. You can't argue with facts, can you? That is pure science. No, is it? We didn't actually touch on the fact that Muscle White, age forty-three, was on the bench for a playoff win against Luton last week. That's very true. Yeah, um, that's a good point. <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, fair play to him. He, he mm. you know, he stepped in at the hour of need. Um, 
and another shout um, saying if you from Pop Stan Clock, if you don't choose Big Nev, you've got to screw loose. Um, I'm not sure whether he actually played any minutes. I know he was definitely in news. He, he did play. He... Now I've not got Wikipedia open, nor any match programs for the turn of the century, but I am relatively certain he was in a 99-2000 season, and he might have been in a 99 element uh, aspect of that. But I might be wrong. So I'm expecting some abuse <laughs> on the social media side. I respect that, but I'm fairly certain he's disqualified. But we'll we'll look into that. Yeah, I mean that's sort of it's a semi serious suggestion if you consider that, you know, Southall probably was considered one of the best keepers in the country or even Europe is in his prime. But I think what we're looking at is how good they were at City. Um mm-hmm. so <clears throat> yeah. And we we've got a few other um few other shouts here so we've got one from gary rogers 49 pete jameson best of the recent ones promotion winner everyone else is back in history uh wyfront mm-hmm. says in the 21st century it's fetish for me a class act and a modernist don't know if that means he's got a love of modernist art and literature that i don't know about or if it's a uh, reference to his playing style uh, that he, was he just loves sculptures <clears throat> yes bloody love sculptures cannot get enough of them always see him kicking around at the sculpture park over near Wakefield. Um, we had a few shouts for Nick Pope as well. Um, Who? <clears throat> Nick Pope. Mm-hmm. You've forgotten him. Yeah, in no. fact, someone said if lone players count, um, then Nick Pope. Uh, mm-hmm. Lone players do count, I think, is, is the uh, is long and short of it. Uh, and we had one tweet in from someone called Russ Howarth saying uh, <laughs> his vote went for Alan Fettis and Michael Ingham. Head and shoulders above anyone else in that era. Consistency, ability, longevity, and presence. Um, but no, seriously, it was it was great to hear from, from Russ. And obviously, he's probably got a much better idea about, you know, the quality of these keepers than we did, you know, having been in the same squad as Fettis and trained alongside him um, and so on. So that was a that was a nice one to see. It really was, yeah. Thank you very much to Russ to, uh, uh, for getting in touch. It was uh, very enjoyable, that conversation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, shall we move into our selections then? So uh, who's going to go first? Have we decided that? I don't think we have, have we? No, as as, the, as I did the intro, uh, Sire, I'd be delighted if you could uh, pick your third choice goalkeeper. Okay, so I've got at number three, um, Michael Ingham. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, I guess what can you say about Ingham? You know, he was a great servant to the club. He was, he was there, you know, number of seasons. I remember him first coming in on loan in 2002-03 and looking like a really decent prospect at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, when he when he arrived permanently a few years later, it, that was sort of, oh, great, you know, I remember, remember him being decent. But he'd sort of progressed since then and he was you know a real sort of commanding character by that point he was yeah absolutely i think that was that's something i always associate with ingham you know his his booming voice he liked to organize the defense and mm-hmm. big talker to motivate everyone but also he was he just had a real presence in in the area you know you always felt comfortable that he was going to deal with crosses and corners he was great at sort of you know coming for those very commanding of his box um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I thought he, he was, um, sort of clearly above anyone who didn't make the top three, 
Um, <clears throat> the only reason I didn't put him any higher was that maybe did he not quite make the step up to League Two when we got promoted? Could you I argue? think what I would say back to that is I think you're right. I think he was maybe reliable at League Two, but he was always a bit of a fallback. So every time we, every time a new season started in League Two, there was always another goalkeeper who came in, and for better for worse, we end up with Michael back in net. Um, now that's not a, you know it's not a damning indictment of Michael Ingham as a goalkeeper. It's a damning indictment of our recruitment policies during our League Two years. But even when we went down under under Jackie in sixteen, like the last few games of the season, like we just fobbed it off and played played making and goal again. So yeah, I think he not he maybe not make. I don't think he was quite good enough to be a, a reliable, dependable League Two goalkeeper. But he was always called upon to do it anyway. Yeah, and like I said, great servant to the club. Um, <clears throat> yes. Yeah. So that so I've got Michael Ingham at number three. So I'm interested to know who your number three is. So for my number three, I have gone for Peter Jameson. Mm -hmm. So uh, the reason I picked uh, JMO there is um, he helped oversee that promotion back to um, the National League, out of uh, National League North. Um, I do think he was part of a very strange city side that won promotion in 2022. Um, I do think and I do hope in the future we're going to cover that Boston final and maybe that whole season you know, as, as a wider discussion, but he was always dependable. He had a, he had a great season. That Brackley semi final uh, penalty save just exemplified how good he was as a goalkeeper. I thought he was a very good shot stopper, and yeah, I thought he had very decent distribution. And I do think it's a real shame that they didn't quite get to see him in last season's um, consolidation season, for want of a better phrase. He had the offer from from Har uh, Harrogate, big pan for uh, for league football, which he had every right to take. I don't be good from it. But he was very much integrated into York's like squad, his team, the team, and also the social side. Obviously, the amazing stuff he was doing with Jack, um, you know, outside of the the, uh, the playing side, you know, looking after young Jack on the sidelines. He was a real role model, um, and he just come across as a bit of a a cheeky young lad, which I, I really quite liked. So um, I do miss him. Um, I'd have him back. I probably would have him back tomorrow in the current setup. To be really, really honest with you. Uh, but um, he made he made the odd error, which you're going to get, at, you know, at National League North level. That's the reason why he's playing that level of football. But not not nothing too horrific, nothing you know, nothing not, not a major howler. But um, I thought he was a very very solid uh, non-league goalkeeper. Yeah, I can't argue with any of that. <clears throat> I thought he was definitely one of the best keepers at National League North level, and one of the reasons we got out of that league. And I think we mm -hmm. did miss him last season. Um, particularly in terms of his distribution. I think we might have been safer earlier on in the season if we'd, if we'd still had him. There's rumours mm. of him coming back this summer, obviously, before we got Stockdale. Um, but, yeah, it might be that <clears throat> that was sort of his time at the club, which has come to an end. But, yeah, definitely, um, you know, one would always rate quite highly. Um, mm -hmm. So shall I move on to my choice at number two? Yes, please do. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so there's a... Uh, another Northern Ireland link, because um, I had Ingham at three. So it's Bailey Peacock. No, it's not. It's not. It's, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's Alan Fettis. Um, Big Al. Yeah. Big Al. So I think, yeah, I mean, when I started going again regularly, uh, you know, I'd been throughout the 90s as, as a kid, hadn't gone for a few years. When I started going regularly again, he was already well established in the team sort of around mm -hmm. 2002. So I missed maybe the first chunk of his time at the club. 
but it just felt like he was such a integral part of that back line under Dolan and in, in a time when we weren't maybe a brilliant team but he was it felt like he was um one of the best keepers in the, in the league yeah um <clears throat> he was a fantastic shot stopper um sort of reaction saves he was always you know he got down stuff really quickly obviously he'd been mm-hmm. an international at northern ireland uh, i think he made the league two team of the season in 0203 when um when we had that sort of failed playoff charge obviously i think he left during that season but um yeah i i, I thought i'd rewatch some highlights it's difficult to to find decent highlights of um <clears throat> of city from that time sort of more than you know 30 second clips. yeah that's true actually yeah it's very difficult to find the early naughty stuff isn't it um but one i did find was some highlights of a pre-season game against man united actually from um mm. sort of what um early noughties and yeah it's, it, i mean united won two nil with two roy king goals but there was quite a few well, that that, that makes it three saves. three to an aggregate doesn't it to be fair well <laughs> yeah so. <laughs> but yeah fetis um you, yeah you know there were, there were quite a few really impressive saves he was pulling off in that one um and i thought as well as being a great shot stopper he was he was good with his feet maybe ahead of his time a little bit in that sense okay. to the extent that um he obviously scored a couple of goals in his time at hull city when they when they stuck him up front um, so that's a bit of a bit of a sad point that we never got to see him uh, outfield for City. But um, oh yeah, watch <laughs> one of those on YouTube, and yeah, he looked sort of surprisingly comfortable. I mean, it was just a tap in, but you know, he didn't look sort of out of place as a as an outfield player in the same way. If you think of that David James picture for uh, for Man City, <laughs> it wasn't quite that. Um, but yeah, I just thought really top goalkeeper, arguably kept us in the league. Yes. Um, and yeah, just always one that you sort of could rely on to to keep you in a game. Yeah, absolutely. So who have you who have you got in second? Well, to go back a little bit, yeah, my number two is is Michael Ingham. Just um, to echo what you've said, just to very quickly add um, a massive uh, positive element of his his was his like uh, community aspect. He felt very proud to be in York. He he moved to the area, etc. He was sadly messed about by uh, Wilco- Wilcox towards the end of his, his tenure with, with York. And it felt very sad. It was an indictment of, of the club at the time that um, our promotion-winning goalkeeper was given a new contract under false pretenses. He deserved better than that, um, and he's doing very well in his current career. And I don't think any York fan could uh, wish him any ill will, to be honest with you. Um, cracking fella, cracking goalkeeper. Yep. Can't disagree with any of that. Um but yeah, I guess we should move on to the um, who we've got. Who we've got in top spot, uh, mm-hmm. the number one of number ones, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I'm going first again, I have you are. gone for a certain Nick Pope, mm. England's finest. Um, yeah, I mean, brief time at the club, half a season. Uh, yeah, but I mean, just look at it in a, on a statistical basis i think there were 16 clean sheets in 24 games which is just a ridiculous <laughs> stat um i would say he's the main reason i was or one of the main reasons the season turned around mm-hmm. gave us a platform to start well firstly grinding out nil nil draws then starting to turn them into one nils um and string a few wins together just because he was you know he was keeping us in so many games 
Mm. He's a tall guy, um, but he's very sort of agile and mobile. Was you know, I remember quite a few saves where you think, how's he got down to that, or how's he changed direction that quickly? And his sort of reading of the game, yeah, you, you could tell he was destined to play at a high level even then. Yes, even when yeah, he's sort of you know, twenty-one or whatever he was. Um, again, I watched some highlights just to just to see if there was any particular saves that stood out. Um, there, there was one against South End where he was he sort of lobbed and it looked like it was going in, and then he scrambled back and pounded it away from the line. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a couple of decent saves in the game against Newport. Where there was like one was a double save where he pushed one against the post, then really quickly got back up to um, to save a second one, and it it just sort of reflected how how agile he was and, and yeah. how how well he read the saves and, uh, and stuff. Um, so, yeah, he, he just looked, although he was only at the club for a little while, he made a big impact and obviously yeah. has gone on to much greater things. I think he's probably added things to his game since then in yeah. terms of his distribution and... I think on caps, that sort of thing. Well, yeah, that too, which... Um, but, yeah, things like he, he sort of seems to be a bit of a sweeper keeper these days and mm-hmm. you know plays it out from the back which I don't think we were doing much of under Worthington but you know he's mm-hmm. added that into his game but even back then he was a class act I thought um and yeah it was um <clears throat> we were just lucky to be able to have him at the club I think absolutely no you're absolutely right I mean um it'll come in a surprise uh Nick Pope is my number one choice as well for, for this particular um section um I did feel a slight unease looking at this about putting a half season lonely into uh into this section, but how could you not? Um and you mentioned it wasn't just him, it was Keith Lowe and John McComb in front of him and that were hastily assembled in that January, uh, that winter transfer window. And defences should not become that good that quickly. And it did. Uh Nick looked five, if not ten years older than he actually played. He was bollocking defenders who were shaving when he was born. You know, it was just absolutely incredible that level that he dragged City towards. He's the most commanding goalkeeper and he's the best shot stopper I've seen in goal for York. Um, maybe we're a little bit guilty of the post-City career adding that layer of gloss. I think that might be true, but how could it not be? I mean, there's not very often people who play for York go on to the very highest level. Yeah, I mean, hindsight's um, a wonderful thing, but I do distinctly remember, distinctly remember, I think it was the first time I'd seen him play for us, sort of coming back afterwards and thinking he's he's going to play higher. You know, he's... It's very rare for a keeper to be the standout player in a game, but that was yeah. that was what happened. I guess it's easier when it's nil-nil and there's not as much happening. But, yeah, I, <clears throat> I think... Maybe what maybe we didn't necessarily think he's going to play for England, but you thought, okay, he's he's already too good for this level. He's the only player I've I've stood there in sh- on the ship home watched, and I've said to my mates, he's going to play for England, and that's the only time it's ever happened. Because why, why else would it? But I I said that, and I was delighted when it happened in uh, twenty eighteen. I was made up because he was that good. Even then, he was that good. Yeah. Well, I guess that makes oh. things. Interesting for the draft thing, because we've both gone for the same number one. Um, That's true. That is true. Uh, what What do you make of your what, what have your What have you gone for the honorable mention out of interest? Honorable mention. So I did have Jameson down there. I think he would have probably been my yeah. number four if if there was a fourth choice. Um, 
but I just felt like Ingham was at the club longer and so yeah. I did it over a, a more consistent period. Fettis I definitely wanted in there because um, mm-hmm. of his quality. So Jameson just missed out for me. Um, I guess Stockdale is an honourable mention in terms of he's had a great career, obviously a great goalkeeper, but didn't necessarily show that at City first time round and hasn't maybe shown it yet this time. Fingers crossed he will. Um, but yeah, in terms of just a mention for someone who's clearly a great keeper, but maybe, you know, it was mm-hmm. at other clubs where he actually showed that. Um, how about you? No, I ch- I went for Stockdale. Um the reason I went, I went for David Stockdale was that I don't, whilst he wasn't quite the world beater during that initial stint in 04 05, he was still a very, very young man um, stepping into a club that was in chaos. You know, we had just been relegated from the Football League. Um, it was a very fractured squad um, assembled by a novice manager. You know, we thank Chris Brass for keeping the club, you know, on point um, during the end of the Dolan years, but, you know, he was recruiting his mates to to play for the club by the end. And even at that age, he was a step up from um, from Crichton, you know, who was verbally abusing York fans in a way, and allegedly. And when uh, when uh, Chris Potter got sent off, I believe it was Accrington at home, the one no defeat, you know, Stockdale came in. And even at that age, he may not have looked better than um, the average Porter. He was growing into it and he's becoming better and he should have he should have stayed and you know, he went on to have the career that he did and he's back with us but maybe at that point we maybe probably shouldn't have released him there was something about him but that was yeah. nearly 20 years ago now so i'm not you know there's no point losing his sleep about it but the age he was the experience that he had and the context it was in i think he was a very very good keeper yeah i'd say that's a bit of a different one to pope where you could see he had some ability, but you didn't look at him and say, okay, so, he's going to play at the highest level. So there is a part of it where you think, is it being released by us and having to start from scratch that actually made him sort of yeah, gain focus and work more on his fitness and things like that that sort of ended up propelling him up the leagues. Um, but yeah, anyone else you wanted to mention? Or should we just get straight on to the uh, official draft? Uh, Bobby Oyunak? No, uh, no, no one else. I've got, I've got, I've got no he one else. He wasn't bad too fair, was he? He was okay, actually. It's just a nothing season. But yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm happy with my, uh, my choices. Okay, so um, I think yeah, we, what we'll do, whoever goes first, picking the keepers, um, they'll go second for centre backs, and then we'll sort of we'll rotate it yeah. that way. We'll, we'll explain it a little bit better next time we move into centre halves. But, um, but the for way now, we're going to do it this time. About today, we'll do a straight up um, coin toss. Whoever wins, not two out of threes, not all that rubbish. Whoever wins picks their first choice goalkeeper. And whoever, and whoever doesn't win, they pick their, uh, well, if they can, they pick their first goalkeeper. So, um, Simon, I've got a coin in front of me. Good. Um, because I'm such a polite and generous young man, I'm going to. Um, Toss the coin, and you're going to pick heads or tails. Okay. So um, before I go, uh, do you want to make your choice? Can I just check firstly which monarch's head is represented on the coin? Because this is important. Um, I'll tell you which monarch's head. It is called um, apps-sortius.com. Oh, it's not a real and, coin. Well, it's it says heads and tails on wow. a thing. I, mean, I press the button, and it that's and disappointing. It I was going to ask you to to get photographic evidence to to post on the on the social media. I can of, post of said a screenshot. Coin. I've done it before, and I'll do it again. 
Okay, I will who, go. Who carries coins these days? I've got a coin in my pocket, but since you've got your app ready, we'll um, we'll do it that way. So I will okay. go for tails. Go for tails. Okay, and you do trust me, don't you? No, but please go on. No. Okay. All right. I've tossed a coin. It's heads. Ah, uh, right. I want, uh, I want a screen grab now. Then. Um, I'm. A, I mean, I, I'm happy to share a screen if you if you don't believe that much. It's all right. I believe you. Okay. Uh, fair enough. Okay. Well, in that case, uh, I get to go first. I'm going to pick my goalkeeper, and I'm going to pick for Ben Aspinall's York City, 21st century Josh Levin. My number one goalkeeper is Nicholas Pope. Yeah, bit cut up about that one, but I'm happy. I'm happy for Alan Fettis to step in for me. I think he's a, he's a solid mm-hmm. choice at number one. In a way, in a way, he's more of a city hero, having been there longer. Actually, I'm mm-hmm. coming around to that opinion now. I think I've I think I've done well out of that. Yeah, you've changed your mind. Maybe let the people decide that when, yeah. when it comes to the full the full team. But yeah, we'll the, see. We'll see. The plan is once we've got these two full elevens. Um, we will we'll have them face off in some kind of format. Uh, whether we can gather all of the individuals for a real game, that might be difficult. It might be a Twitter I'm thinking. Call. I'm thinking some sort of gladiatorial fight to the death, maybe. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We're... Fire, lions, that sort of thing. Yeah, I'm assuming that's all legal, but... Um... Yeah, we'll uh, we'll see. It'll probably be a, it'll probably be a Twitter poll. Let's face it, if Twitter still exists at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's a that's a nice way to kick off the um, the draft. I think um, I, I would agree with that, Simon, very much so. So just to confirm, Ben Aspinall's eleven has Nick Pope in goal, and Simon Craft's eleven has Alan Fettis in goal. May the best team win. Yeah, um, and so yeah, we'll we'll look at centre backs next, and that'll be in a few weeks. We'll sort of. Looking to do maybe sort of one a month of these and gradually build up the the elevens. But yeah, let's move back to the present day and briefly look ahead uh, to what's coming up for City. So this Saturday, um, we're on the road again. We're travelling to Aldershot. I'm not able to make the game. I'm I'm away on holiday. Ben, are you are you making the trip? No, um, I can't make it due to a lack of interest. <laughs> that is entirely fair. Um, but I understand it might it might be one of those times where it coincides with you being in a foreign country and therefore able to watch a stream. Yes, uh, as an international user, is that correct? Yes, I'm in the I am in the uh, the People's Republic of West Yorkshire. So therefore, I should be able to watch the game on the perfectly legal um, Vanarama National League streaming platform. Yeah, so you will be hopefully our our reporter back. Uh, mm-hmm. Although we'll be keen to get um, keen to get insight from people who've you know made the journey as well uh, of what it mm-hmm. was like <clears throat> there in Aldershot. Um, but yeah, what I mean, what can we say? Looking forward to that. So much has happened in in just three games. What are you expecting in terms of lineup, in terms of you know performance? Are we still going to have the same manager? For, you know, I don't think I can give you much in terms of what I'm expecting because I don't know. Um, I I worry about the reaction by the club and also by Mikey towards what's happened last you know, the opening three games. My own personal interpretation is that based on what I saw against Altrincham, if we're going to play the expansive. Um, uh, formation in terms of the fullbacks who bomb on 
if we're going to play the you know the counter slash game press that's you know been made so famous by very very more fitter teams than uh, than us, we need more than Paddy McLaughlin by himself midfield. If we have two sitters who can you know roam from from flank to flank, then we maybe stand a chance with um, having two you know advanced uh, advanced fullbacks and the uh, wide forwards slash wingers that don't trap back. Otherwise, if it's a repeat of what happened on Tuesday, if it's um, Paddy by himself, it could be Woodyard. Yeah, we don't know how severe the injury is. If it's if it's one holding defensive midfielder, I really do worry because uh, we need we need we need workmen in there. We need um, a high work rate in that central midfield position. We cannot do um, Dice, uh, Dyson and uh, Castro again. It, it it would be a suicide at this point to play that against uh, Aldershot on Saturday. Either with their iffy record, you you have a look at them. They've got they've got one win on the board, uh, a win at home to Oxford City. They got pummeled by uh, by Oldham, and they got a a good seeing a good seeing too by Epsley away as well. So they've had a similar difficult start like we have, but we should probably look, be looking at the free you know pushing for that three points here. Yeah, I was going to say, with so we got Aldershot away, then Dorking away, then Rochdale at home. All three of those teams have lost two out of the first three, as we have. Um, and yeah, Aldershot. Um, and I think Rochdale as well, their their points have come against Oxford City, who already look sort of like potential whipping boys in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it's, it's not... Maybe the toughest of starts that we could have had. I mean, we didn't think the first three games would be too difficult, and that, yeah. it hasn't proved that way. But I think really we need to start seeing some results and to start seeing some semblance of a plan in these next three games. Because um, I mean, I know there's a lot of people calling for Martin's head. I think, to be honest, you know, the takeover happened in the summer. If you, if you want rid of him, then that's the time to do it. Otherwise, if yeah. you think he's my man. You can't then turn around and three games into the season, when when there's a load of new players come in, there's been injuries and so on. Uh, realistically, you're probably not going to pull the trigger at that point. But I think mm-hmm. you know once we're at the end of this month, we've had we've had six games, given players a chance to bed in. I think then we can more seriously start judging how the start of the season's gone. Yeah, um, that's very true. One positive: Ryan Fall Ryan Fallerfield will be back. Uh, mm-hmm. For the older shot game, so I'm assuming he might slot straight in at right back. Yeah, uh, it, it might be a little bit harsh on Ando, who I think has been naive in his play, but he's been willing. He's got good technique. I I like watching him, but um, it might be a fair a fair sw- uh, switch at this point. Yeah, I'd probably move Ando to left back, to be honest, ahead of Lati Fairweather. Um, yeah, maybe. So just because I think he's looked a bit more solid out of the two, and he still has he still offers a bit going forward. I think he's looked. Um, decent overall mm-hmm. um, but yeah it, it's it's impossible to predict because we might end up playing three at the back again It all it's all just in so much flux at the moment yeah um, but yeah we'll, we'll see what happens with that um, looking forward to seeing your your thoughts on <clears throat> on how it looks on the stream um, anything else to to add in terms of, of what you're expecting um, do you think there is conversations happening about changing the manager at this point there could be. Um, I agree with what you're saying. I would be personally considering uh, the position of manager, but I would have been doing that in the close season. The issue is if uh, Ugla gets rid of uh, Morton now, 
you know, in after three games, then which high quality coach slash manager is going to come in to, you know, be employed by a chairman who, who cuts their cloth um, after three matches. So it's a rock and a hard place for the current ownership. Um, I don't envy it, but they've unfortunately made their bed. So we'll have to get on with it. But you do think the the decisions that are made on the pitch, are, you know, they're obvious. That every fan is crying out. Certainly, we're in a south stand on Tuesday. It, it seems like the solutions are quite simple. Looking on the bright side, twenty one twenty two season, uh, we had zero points after the first three games, and we went on to get promoted that season. So you know, we're one point better off. So maybe yeah, the maybe the true. promotion train is back on the rails after all. Um, choo choo. But yeah, um, that pretty much wraps up this week's episode. Um, we're hoping to record another one next week with, with looking at Aldershot and more retro fun. Although fun might not be the, the right word for the particular selection we've gone for. Um, we're, we're not, we're not going to reveal it yet, are we, uh, are we Simon? But um, we've picked a particular game that you're going to bloody hate. Hmm. Unless you like long throws. <laughs> but yeah um, uh, keep interacting with us on the social media if you haven't followed us yet at same old city pod on Twitter and Instagram much appreciated um, and yeah thanks for listening um, and we'll see you next week keep the faith <laughs>